Greetings, beloved. If you would open your Bibles to John 1, as you know, um, we're going through the book of John. So we're going to start in verse 19 and make our way to verse 34. Beginning in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? Give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Well, it seems like we're uh, getting a double dose this Lord's Day on... uh, Religious hypocrisy. We're, uh, we talked about it this morning in Luke and uh, what it means to be a true and genuine follower of Jesus Christ and what religious hypocrisy looks like. And the thing is, is that it is far more easy to be a religious hypocrite than it is to be a genuine Christian. It is easy to be a hypocrite. It is hard to be a Christian A church full of sinners is to some degree to have a church full of hypocrites. None of us here perform the law perfectly. That's what we've been learning um, every single Sunday ever since we believed is that you guys are sinners and you need a savior. Um, You know, how many of you sitting here today have uh, had a sinless day? How about uh, a sinless last six hours? Uh, What about uh, the last 10 minutes? Do you think you've had a sinless last uh, 10 minutes? Um, I think if you look to your heart, you'll see that there have been times in the last 10 minutes where you have not attended to the Lord in a perfect manner. Um, The point that I'm trying to make is that the, the difference between a sinner who has been washed in the blood of the Lamb and a religious hypocrite is that the saved sinner is the one who wholeheartedly, unabashedly, owns their sinfulness before the Lord of glory. He does not hide it. He exposes himself fully and says, Lord, take me as I am because there is no other way that I can come. The sinner saved by grace doesn't hold a single pretense that anything they have, do, or say makes them better than any other single human being. They confess the truth. 
They do not quarrel about their supposed righteousness before other men. And they judge with a righteous judgment that always has the truth emblazoned on the back of their eyelids that shines forth like a beacon, deserves nothing, yet receives all. Sinners saved by grace don't appeal to their religion, tradition, or family to justify themselves. They know they have one recourse and one recourse only, and that is to run to Jesus Christ for all their hopes and needs. The hypocrite will tell you of their religion. In fact, they will shame you with their religion. They will beat you with their religion. They will make you feel small, stupid, ignorant, foolish, and evil if you don't know as much as them. And if you do know more than them, but don't agree with their point in tradition because you don't have their tradition, no matter how sincere you are in your faith, It doesn't matter. You're not in their tradition. The religious hypocrite exalts themselves while the sinner, saved by grace, exalts God and the grace of God. And that is what we see here in our text today. If you can remember way back, we covered John the Baptist because uh, we've got a bookend here. We've got John the Baptist right right at the beginning of the book of John. And then we go into the theology of what this case study of John the Baptist is going to reveal to us between verses, if I find it here, the true light comes into the world and his own did not receive him. So in verse, I believe, sorry, 6 to 18, we have the theology of what John the Baptist is revealing to us. And it is salvation by grace alone through the sovereign hand of the Lord of God alone. And so we get what New Testament scholars call telescoping, which is a telescope can be small, and then you can stretch it open, stretch it open, and it gets big. And when the telescope is small, you see only a small portion of the distance. When the telescope gets bigger, you see a larger portion in the distance. And so verses 19 through 34 is the telescope expanding to allow us to see what John the Baptist was revealing to us in his ministry. We rem- if we remember, John the Baptist is cousin to Jesus. He leapt in the womb at the presence of Jesus prior to either of their births. John's father, Zechariah, was also given a message from an angel while he was serving in the temple about who his son would be and what his calling in life would be. Zechariah 1, 16 through 17 reads as follows, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John has a very special calling upon his life from birth. He is the forerunner for the Messiah. So when we read that the messengers come to John asking him who he is in our text today, and the text says that he confessed and did not deny but confessed, we get a little bit of a glimpse into what the Apostle John is trying to communicate about confessing and not denying because John had a calling. John had a mission. And John's mission, he knows, is what he is appealing to when he's speaking to these questioners. Uh, The people who are coming up to him and questioning them um, are not, they're curious as to whether he's the Messiah, but there's a further line of questioning that isn't on the surface. And the questioning is, is, Do you really have the right to be doing what you're doing right now? I mean, 
you're, you're kind of causing a ruckus here for, for us religious people in Israel. This is kind of outside of the norm for us. I mean, we've been doing temple worship for about 400 years now, and we kind of have this formula. And uh, here you are calling people out into the wilderness to be baptized in a dirty, stinking river. Uh, it's kind of like you're treading on our territory, man. You're an interloper. Um, <clears throat> But John skips their careful line of reasoning. Uh, They probably prepared this line of reasoning because they wanted to get him to stop. Um, But the Holy Spirit was given to John in the womb and was upon him from birth. Uh, So John has two glorious guides in this text. One, he has this calling from his father. And Zechariah and his father and his mother Elizabeth are known to be religious, obedient people, blameless, it says in the text earlier in Luke. And so they've done their due diligence to instruct their child. And he also has the Holy Spirit instructing him. And the Holy Spirit, as we see in this text, as we go later on, he knows that his calling is from Scripture. It says, Make straight the way of the Lord. Um, And as the prophet Isaiah says, so he's got these two guide rails. I need to do something. My father has told me an angel told him what I was supposed to be before I was even born. And I have the testimony of scripture guiding me down this path. And so I'm going to run with all of my power in this direction that I'm meant to go. So when he confesses and does not deny but confesses, he's confessing the words of the angel that the Lord spoke to his father. And he's confessing the testimony of the scripture about his life. And he doesn't even enter into the quarrel with these people who are questioning with him. He's just so focused on what God's done in his life and called him to that he's not not even going to engage with them. He says, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Moses. I'm not Moses. I'm just one who's telling you that God is coming. He's here even now. I don't care about identity. I don't care about title. I don't care about who you think I need to be to do this thing. God is here. He is alive and he is among you and you cannot see him and he's going to manifest himself any day. Get in the water and confess your sin. You're going to burn in hell if you don't. That's the reality. He doesn't care what you think about him. Christians don't care what you think about them. They know they need to do something for God and they do it. (sighs) What an answer. So we have to recognize that John the Baptist, a man who has been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, is a bit of a Bible thumper. He's, he's not afraid to speak the truth to people in their face when they're trying to get him to stop. And he doesn't say, no, I think that I'm going to do this kind of the way that I think I'm supposed to do it. He says, I have a mission. God has told me to do it. It doesn't matter what you say. Get in the water. Be baptized. So... John speaks in the very words of God himself in Isaiah 43, 40, verse 3. Um, And I'm going to start um, 3 to 6. A voice cries. In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough place is a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John knows his calling, he knows his purpose, and he knows what he's supposed to be doing, preparing a way for the Lord, 
God doesn't argue about this calling. I mean, if your father hammered, hammered into you, and he's a trustworthy man that from before, the, before you were born, an angel said you were going to do this, you're going to go, I know my father's character. I know that my dad doesn't lie. I know that he didn't make this up about me. An angel came to him and said that I'm going to be this prophet. And so that's what I'm going to do. And the scriptures testify it. I could imagine it now that for so many of our brothers in more mainline denominations, uh, why would God call this prophet to such a terrible place to do something, right? The wilderness, God? Why the wilderness? Don't you think if we were more centrally located, we'll draw more people? John the Baptist reads, he's meant to go to the wilderness, and to the wilderness he goes. He doesn't think, oh God, I, I have a better idea here, let's try this. The text says wilderness, wilderness we go. God is going to restructure the whole land anyway. The world is going to change. So it doesn't matter if he goes to the wilderness or not. God's going to make the mountains valleys and the valleys are going to be mountains. What does it matter if we're in the wilderness? The whole world is going to be the city of God soon enough. John says, it's my job to prepare a way. These messengers from the Pharisees want to make John doubt what he's doing. These messengers come from the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, as many of you already know, were the religious elite from the among the Jews in Jesus' day. They were the rulers in the temples and the synagogues, and they had a penchant for wanting people to see how good they were. Here's their problem with John. They probably had plenty of people coming into their temples and their synagogues speaking of this John the Baptist out there doing a bunch of weird stuff for the Lord, and their first response is an absolute joy over the fact that regular sleepy Joe in the pew is bubbling over with joy over the fact that he's been baptized and forgiven by God. They're just mad that, they're doing, that, that he's doing something outside of their religious purview. He's repented. He's, his sins are forgiven. And their first response, response is skepticism. Why does that matter? They send some emissaries to figure out who John is. They're curious, but not curious enough to go themselves. So they send some of their disciples to go and find out who John is. Yet these messengers know enough about the criticisms coming from the temple that they know the Pharisees only had a few acceptable answers in mind to be doing, for John to be doing what he was doing, and he didn't give them the answer they wanted. You know, I think they probably thought, well, we're going to go out there, we're going to question this, this wingnut out there, and he's probably going to probably either back down or, or eventually get himself arrested for causing an insurrection, but we're going to try and quell this before it gets too out of hand. Um, and you may think that it was rather clever how John responded, you know, probably thought through the logic of it all. I'm not going to engage with these guys. No, he just had faith to be busy doing what the Lord called him to do and appealed to the words of his father and the word of his God to do what he was doing. So when they ask him, why do you baptize if you aren't these three specific people who are the only answers we deem correct? John responds, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Or even comes after me, the strap whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Or, in the Josh Revised Version, if you think I'm really shaking things up, just wait until the true Messiah is revealed among you. He's going to change things. I'm just a guy. John didn't defend himself or his character. 
John appealed to the words of God and pointed to Jesus Christ. You know, I've heard of plenty of cases in the Christian faith where someone has a really powerful conversion and they're all in for God. Um, I mean, they're completely on fire. They're probably lacking a little bit of direction, but they're like, let's go, let's do it. Anything for the Lord, come on, what's going on? And uh, you know what? They hang out in the church a bunch, around people who've been in the church for a long time, and then someone comes in with a criticism and goes, hey, I think you might need to chill out a little bit. You're kind of going over the top here. It's too much. You need to calm down. This isn't, we're Reformed Baptists here. It's not how we act, you know. Um, but John, and, and the thing is, is John is a mature believer. Again, Holy Spirit from birth, trained under a father who knew the scriptures, well educated and equipped by the Lord. These new converts who come into the church don't know anything about God. A, a small little harsh word or criticism can just stop them dead in their tracks. They'll go, okay, I'll listen to what you say. And then they sit in the pews, and then they're afraid to ever take that next step in their faith because they know that they've got eyes watching them to determine if what they do is right or wrong. So we shouldn't be like the religious people in this group and say, hey, this is a criticism from me to you. Stop what you're doing. It's wrong. But say, hey, brother, I'm going to come alongside you. We're going to do this the right way, but I think what you're doing is great. Let's keep doing it, but let's go back to the scriptures and see what the scriptures say. And we're going we're gonna to pursue the Lord with zeal and fire together, but I'm not going to stop you from doing it. But these religious people did not know what was coming. They were really hoping to get ahead of this thing that John was doing. Um, but John was a prophet in his own right, and prophets tend to be uh, pretty, pretty indomitable foes when people are trying to stop them from doing what God wants them to do. Um, and God asked them often to do very strange things, John's ministry being some of the least strange things that God has asked his prophets, pro prophets to do. But John's humility to God's revealed word and submission to it was what kept him pursuing this path with God. Knowing the Messiah was among them, although he himself did not have full knowledge of who this Messiah was, per verse 31 and verse 33, uh, he still knew that positionally one greater than him was on the way and that he, it was his job to serve him in any way that he could possibly do that thing. And, you know, in, in a real way, John, when he says, I'm not worthy to unstrap this man's shoes, positionally knows his place in the kingdom to, agree, to a degree. I mean, he, he's not doing what he's doing out of arrogance or pride, but he knows he's been given some religious authority because an angel spoke over him. And not, an angel doesn't spoke, speak over everybody. And despite this fact, as, as, a, as a prophet of God who knows himself, he considers himself as someone who's not even worthy to be considered a slave to this man. That's, that's real humility right there. And so he goes... <laughs> Anything that this man requires, I will do, even to death. So often, especially in traditional churches, when someone comes up with a new idea and runs with it, the church will consider that person arrogant and prideful, and maybe they are, 
But just because they're doing something new doesn't by default make them arrogant or prideful. They could be just trying to serve the Lord with the best that they have. Again, not everyone is John the Baptist who's been given a divine calling upon their life by an angel. But there are people who have zeal and they just need knowledge. And they need to be guided to do something that is more in line with the will of God in the word. And sometimes that means that we have to be willing to do those things that don't make us comfortable because I can guarantee you that John the Baptist's preference wasn't eating bugs and bugs byproduct. You know, it, it was just something that was a part of his calling to make him unique and holy to the people of Israel. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A, weed sh- a, a reed shaken by the wind? No, a prophet, more than a prophet. Just as John had this special call upon his life, every single person in this room most assuredly has a call that is just as divine and sanctifying. I'm no angel. You're not going to get an angelic message. But on the authority of the scriptures to all the non-believers in this room, you have a command from this divine Lord, repent and believe the gospel and be saved. That is the command from Jesus Christ today that if it were to come from the lips of an angel would have no more authority than me saying it today. For the scripture is more divine than an angel's word. Repent and believe on, the Jesus, on, repent and believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. Amen. And if you're a believer, this is the calling that comes to you. Just as John's calling had this peculiar effect on him, does your call have a peculiar effect upon you? Do you confess with Paul in Philippians 3.14? I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. What strides have you made in your faith recently? How are you pursuing the Lord beyond the regular humdrum of life? What is the Lord calling you to do today that makes you fearful and you say no to, but the Lord is calling you today to do? What peculiarities have you picked up for the sake of his glory? What challenges have you conquered for the sake of his name? Or are you among the religious who are the harsh critics on the sideline? Has that fire in you been quelled by a doubting or discouraging word or comment? Have you come to the mountain that is too hard to climb? And would you rather take a nap on the side of the road and lose your scroll like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress? Perhaps you're among that religious group who exchanged the truth of Jesus Christ for a tradition. I don't know your heart. You know your heart. And the Holy Spirit can prick you. Today, let go of that tradition if it prevents you from coming to Christ. You do not need it. It does not make you more holy. And it blinds you. It does not strengthen you. And it does not give you any power. But Jesus Christ can save even the most religiously blinded. I know of a man who drew such thick lines in the sand that he couldn't attend any church uh, other than what he thought was right because uh, they didn't believe the way he believed. Uh, he started his own church, not only, and now only that man's family attends that church, and I'm sure they all attend it begrudgingly. Are you like these religious men who believe themselves to be the judge, jury, and executioner of right and wrong and can't even recognize a prophet in their midst? And can't even recognize that God in the flesh is in their midst. Brothers and sisters, I pray that it would never be among us. And I am sure of better things for you. 
may we always be those who are willing to do whatever it takes to pursue the upwards callings of Christ Jesus, no matter how bizarre it makes us, even if we got to eat bugs and bugs byproducts. Um. <clears throat> it just so happens, or rather providentially ordained by God, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, should walk by John the next day. Uh, after this conversation with these uh, Pharisees, uh, the very one who he was speaking about uh, shows up, and he's there. And John, in, again, verse 31 and verse 33, says, I didn't know him. And then all of a sudden he goes, there he is. It's, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it wasn't like he put the dots together, and all of a sudden this Jesus cousin whom he knew he now recognizes the Messiah, the Spirit of God moved him from the old covenant understanding of God and the Messiah being hidden, and in this moment, on this day, transported him to the beginning of the new covenant. Amen. He was able to see the Son of God for who he was. And then God providentially ordained that the ministry of John the Baptist should, uh, where is it? Be at the river Jordan, where Joshua the son of Nun led the Israelites through the Jordan. And there was a testimony of 12 stones in the bottom of that river that declared that there was a people waiting for him in this river. And there they were being baptized. Jesus shows up on the scene. And what do we see? He comes to John. And in another gospel, John says, you do not need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. You're the one that I've been saying that I can't even untie your shoes. I mean, what are you doing here? Uh, you don't have any sin. You don't need to confess any sin. You don't need to repent of any sin. So what's going on? And Jesus says, this is to fulfill all righteousness. And I'm sure John's there like, yeah, fulfill all righteousness. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. But here's what it is. John has been tying the Logos, the Word, to the creation, right? What do we see in the baptism of John? Holy Spirit descending upon the Word of God above the water where the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What do we see at the beginning of Genesis 1? The Holy Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep as God speaks the world into existence. Jesus Christ is declaring in this moment he's recreating the religious order by this baptism at the beginning of his public ministry. Not only that, why, does he be, why, does he baptize, why is he being baptized for repentance and confession if he doesn't need to do, if he hasn't sinned? Just as Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins that he has not committed, in this baptism, typologically, he is representing and, um, <clears throat> I can't think of the word, but he is uh, aligning himself with the people of God. And so, even though he has no sin to repent of, he is repenting for the sins of his people on their behalf in this baptism. Just as he dies for the sins of his people on the cross. Just as there are many sins that you will fail to repent of, for by the time you die, Jesus Christ will have ev repented of every single one of them in your place. And this is the public proclamation of that fact. Not only that, you have sins that you have failed to confess, and in this moment, Jesus Christ has on your behalf, symbolically confess them to the Father. And he comes down and in this confession says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so you can be assured that if Jesus Christ is your Savior, he is saying this about you because he represents you in this moment. He is saying about his son Jesus Christ, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
You are his beloved children in whom he is well pleased. And the baptism of John signifies that. So I wrote like four pages for that, but I summarized it for you. So uh, let's pray and uh, let's close. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your grace, mercy, kindness. Um, Lord, we thank you for John's baptism. Uh, We thank you for the zeal of new converts. Uh, We thank you for the zeal of old converts, Lord. Uh, We thank you that you give the Holy Spirit, which defies religious hypocrisy. We thank you, Lord, that you save us from ourselves. You save us from damning traditions. You save us from the law of Moses, which is a ministry of condemnation, and brings us and you bring us into grace and truth by Jesus Christ, O oh Lord. We thank you that you have established your moral order in the creation of the world and have implanted it into our hearts so that we may know what it means to please you. And Lord, we thank you that you have granted us the grace by the power of your Holy Spirit to grant us the faith to trust that in Christ is everything we need to please you, O Lord. God, there is nothing within us whatsoever at all that makes you smile, and in Christ there is not one thing that can happen apart from the hand of our Father. And we thank you for that, Lord. You are good, and all the time you are good, Lord. I pray that uh, if there are any of those who have not known you in this room today, O oh Lord, that they would hear the call of God upon their life and they would repent of their sin and be saved. And Lord, we pray for all of those who do know you, Lord, that may have, have grown lax in their faith, God. May they renew and reinvigorate all of their efforts on their behalf of you, Lord, that we may always be going back to that first love and never losing the sight of it in our hearts and minds, God. We thank you, we love you, because you first loved us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.